BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson, and I'm so pleased this time to welcome Alan Dershowitz to today's show. He has been called America's most public Jewish defender, one of the most distinguished defenders of individual rights in our nation, and has written 40 books, both fiction and nonfiction, including seven bestsellers. And he has a new book coming out called The War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas's Barbarism. Welcome, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. What did you think about the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres saying after the October 7th attacks that it did not happen in a vacuum? It, was he condoning terrorism? No, he was not condemning. He, he was uh, he was condoning terrorism. Yeah, he was putting terrorism in the context of any other uh, like military activity. Um, you know, I like him. He's a nice man. He lives four blocks away from me. I see him on the street sometimes, and he's been one of the least uh, anti-Semitic uh, secretary generals of the UN. But he was just so off base here, and it certainly is interpreted as a kind of, as conden as condoning and justifying and explaining anti-Semitism. There's no context, uh, terrorism, there's no context in which you can justify or explain rapes, beheadings, burning of children. What Secretary of State Blinken described today in his press conference where he talked about the um, a family being just murdered brutally, and there's a videotape of it from a security camera. It's, it's the idea that the Secretary General would say there's a context for this. Yeah, there's a context for Nazism. There's a context for lynching, lynchings. There's a context for murdering gays. There's a context for everything, but you don't put horrible events like that in a context that creates the suggestion that maybe it was justified. Absolutely. And well, what about um, you know, students around the country uh, including at, at Harvard, where you're a professor emeritus. Um, what, what's your reaction to their protests? I mean, did it surprise you? Well, they're not protests. These are justifications of terrorism. The, the th 33 student groups at Harvard, the day after the massacre occurred, before Israel fired a single shot in response, basically said it was all the fault of Israel. Uh, look, Harvard and other schools have a terrible history on this. In the 1930s, 
Harvard welcomed Nazi academics and diplomats to their campus. And they sent uh, delegations from Harvard to Heidelberg University after it had fired all of its Jewish professors. Yale students uh, wrote petitions in support of, of Nazism. And, um, you know, the Ayatollah used students to come to power. Hitler used students to come to power. Stalin used students to come to power. You, there's no excuse just because you're a student. These are the modern-day version of Hitler Youth. And I have to tell you, I'm going to use very strong terms, but if terrorism came to our shores, as as director of the FBI said in his recent interview, when we're going to get terrorism here, emulating Hamas um, uh, ter terrorism against Israel, what's going to happen is some of these kids, some of these students are going to join the terrorists. They're going to become terrorists. They're going to engage in killing Americans. Take, for example, this student that was at Harvard Law School who was a a member of the Harvard Law Review, that's the highest honor you can get in law school. And he was reportedly involved in harassing a Jewish student, and he was one of the people who signed onto that Harvard statement, blaming it all on Israel. I worry that people like him would go further than just showing support, verbal support for terrorists, that uh, they might actually give material aid to terrorists, which is, of course, against the law and criminal, but uh, I worry that it could happen. Well, you know, obviously there are a lot of Americans who probably have some misconceptions about Israel and about Palestine. What would you like to clear up for our audience? Well, you know, the Palestinians could have had a state in 1937-38, and most recently during the Trump administration. They've always said no. So the fact that there's no Palestinian state and that there is a continuing military occupation is all 100% the fault of the Palestinians. As Abi Ibn once said, the Palestinian leadership doesn't know how to take yes for an answer. There didn't have to be any occupation. Israel gave up the occupation of the Gaza in 2005. Not only did they take every living Israeli out of the Gaza, they even unburied their dead and took them out. There wasn't even a dead Israeli in the Gaza Strip. They could have turned the Gaza Strip into Singapore and the Mediterranean. Instead, they all enriched themselves. The leaders of, of Hamas are worth billions of dollars. They have them in bank accounts in Qatar. And um, they turned whatever money there was left into rockets. They deprived their own people of food, of medicine, of education. It is 100% the fault of Hamas. Even these deaths we see now, these tragic deaths of young children, it's Hamas's fault. They won't let the children and the parents go south where they'd be safe. They use them as human shields. And yet the world blames so much of this uh, on Israel. You know, uh, there are some people who say, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm just anti-Zion. Is there a difference? Well, you know, there, for some there may be, but not for most of these people. And when, when you have signs at these demonstrations in favor of Hamas, Hamas has a charter that is anti-Semitic. It says Jews caused all the problems in the world that we have to get rid of all the Jews in the Middle East. So if, you, if you're pro-Hamas, you can't not be an anti-Semite. Of course you're an anti-Semite if you're pro-Hamas. I mean, theoretically, you can imagine somebody who, you know, is very active in supporting the Jewish community, but doesn't believe in the concepts, concept of a Jewish state. But I have never met somebody who is uh, anti-Zionist who is not 
also uh, anti-Jewish. So, you know, and you scratch an anti-Zionist deep enough, you find somebody who's anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-the Judeo-Christian tradition. So I think it's a myth when people say, I'm not, I'm not an anti-Semite, I'm not anti-Jewish, I'm just anti-Zionist. I think the vast, vast, vast majority of the people who participate in these pro-Hamas demonstrations are anti-Semites. I think they're trying to assuage their conscience. But, uh, you know, I, I hear people saying Israel should respond proportionally. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you respond yeah. proportionally when somebody's trying to destroy you? And I, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if it would be reasonable to, to ask those who are opposing Israel, can you provide a solution that protects and preserves Israel? Yeah, there is a solution. It's just get, getting rid of Hamas, obviously. But look, did the United States respond proportionally to Pearl Harbor? Did the Jews respond proportionally to the Holocaust? What proportionality means in international laws, if you're going after a very important military target, say a commander of Hamas, the guy who actually perpetrated these massacres on, on October 7th, if you're going after somebody that important, then the number of civilians that may die in the process of getting him have to be proportional to the value of the military target. Now, the military value of the military target there was very high, and the civilians uh, who were killed were being used as human shields. And to give you just an example, a common example, let's assume I rob a bank, and the police come in, and I grab you as a hostage, and I'm shooting from behind you, and I'm killing people, and the police try to shoot me, the guy who's shooting, and instead they kill you, God forbid. Uh, who's guilty of that murder? Obviously, the policeman's not guilty, even though his bullet killed you. It's the man holding you hostage who's guilty. And that's why Hamas is guilty of all of these deaths. They're the ones who are responsible. They're causing it. You would think that, uh, that some of our people, our leaders in Congress, would understand that and would have a good sense of the history. Yeah, I, I think don't. some of it stems from the fact that people are just ignorant. They don't know what's happened before, particularly those who, who deny that these things occurred, that Amas didn't you know, burn babies and cut their heads off or any of this. Aren't they the same as the Holocaust deniers? Uh, you know, it's a matter of degree, obviously, but the Yale Daily News was guilty of that. The editor of the Yale Daily News, who's a bigot and very, very anti-Israel, apparently uh, censored an op-ed uh, in the Yale Daily News that said that Hamas had beheaded and burned to death and, and uh, slaughtered these kids, saying, no, there's no proof of that. There's proof, there's videotapes of it. There's videotapes, there's photographs of the dead bodies. You have the Secretary of State getting on television and describing uh, some of these things. And the editor of the Yale Daily News, and, you know, that editor five years from now will be an editor at the New York Times. So it's no surprise that the media today is so biased because they get their they get their writers and their editors from the Harvard Crimson, uh, which called for a boycott of Israel, and the Yale Daily, which censors um, uh, anything that is not pro-Hamas. And so uh, it's not surprising that our future leaders are going to endanger the future not only of Jews in America, but of Americans and of Christians, because, you know, the Hamas-Iran people, they're as anti-Christian as they are anti-Semitic. Oh, Absolutely. One is just a precursor to their further desires. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you think about the fact that BLM 
has aligned itself with Hamas, particularly given the tremendous alignment of Jews with blacks during the civil rights movement. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was part of that. I marched. I went down south in the 1960s. I trained with, uh, you know, Thurgood Marshall and Carter and the NAACP and and all of those uh, great, great civil rights leaders, uh, Jack Greenberg, all the others. And and now Black Lives Matter on the day after these horrible massacres put out a uh, flyer glorifying the terrorists and supporting the terrorists. And, you know, Black Lives Matter, obviously, I support the concept. I just don't support the organization because the organization has distorted its priorities and its values away from protecting African-Americans in the United States to making political opposition to to Israel. And uh, that's just not the job of Black Lives Matter as an organization. So I'm opposed to the organization, though I support the concept. You know, Jewish lives matter, um, Muslim lives matter, all lives matter, and Black Lives Matter, and, and, and we have to make sure that they're valued. Um, but uh, it can't be at the expense of other lives. Absolutely. Well, doesn't it kind of point out the role of the media? Because yeah. they were the ones who sort of pushed the idea that if you said anything other than Black Lives Matter, that you were a racist. There's no doubt about that. And if you even mention the word meritocracy, you're a racist. Um, and one of the reasons that I think so many people from the woke side are against um, Jews is that, you know, Jews like other people have benefited from meritocracy. My, you know, none of my parents were educated. None of my family. I was the first person to go to college. I had no money. I had no skills, but I made it on my merits. And, I, you know, I was first in my class in law school. That's the kind of meritocracy that America has stood for for years and that the woke culture hates. They want everything to be identity politics. They want you to get jobs based not on what you've done, but who you are. And uh, that's just not the American way. And that's why I was very pleased when the Supreme Court of the United States finally um, outlawed uh, race-based uh, preferences or race-based lack of preferences. People have to make it on their own. And uh, if you're discriminated against based on your race, if you personally are discriminated against, fine, that should count. But if you're the you know, the son or daughter of a very prominent uh, person who is a minority, and, and you've had all the privileges in life, the, the, your race itself shouldn't count either for you or against you. That's what Martin Luther King wanted. That's colorblind equality, and that's what the woke culture despises. Well, the Marxists uh, in this country seem to be pretty much set on dividing our population. They've always been that way. Marxists always want to divide the population, yeah. Race, income, age, religion, political affiliation, gender, you name it, they're at it. And I, I don't know if the American people actually realize we're being manipulated into throwing away, you know, the greatest country that ever existed by people who are envious of us and who want to change fundamentally who we are. And the best proof of how envious people are is everybody wants to come to America. And that's why we have problems at our border. People are not rushing to get into Russia uh, or Lebanon or uh, uh, Egypt, uh, but they're all dying to come to the United States, sometimes literally dying, risking their lives to come here. And we are the greatest country in the history of the world. And 
so many of our people don't appreciate it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've had a chance to visit 68 countries and have lived overseas. Wow, wow, wow. And I got to tell you, yeah. this this is an amazing place. And it certainly provided incredible opportunities for me. But I had a mother who would never accept excuses. And I think that made a big difference uh, for both me and my brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I, my parents too. They 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 didn't they didn't accept excuses. You had to work hard, and uh, and if you didn't, you bore the consequences of it. I was so lucky to have parents like that, and to have family, to have a free college education available to me in the City College of New York, which has now turned into a bastion of anti-Semitism and propaganda, and it's denying these kids who have no parachutes, you know, they have to make it on their own. And these city colleges of New York and other colleges are denying these kids of every race and every background the opportunity to do what the two of us did. And that is, you know, rise by our own hard work and our merits. And I think that's becoming, unfortunately, a thing of the past, and it will hurt America's greatness. What do you think is responsible for what's happening on the college campuses? Well, on the college campuses, I know it's happening. And it was this building up of a bureaucracy at college campuses based on what's called diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. And it's not diversity. It's People don't want diverse points of view. They don't want people like you. They want people who, yes, uh, are, are a racial minority, but who represent the views that they think racial minorities should have uh, uniformly. It's the most insulting thing that you can say about minorities that they ought to have the same view. So this diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucracy has destroyed universities, turned them into propaganda mills, and students are rebelling, and donors are rebelling, and parents are rebelling. Why spend $70,000 to go to Harvard to be propagandized? So you know what the students are doing? They're taking it to their own hands. They're not majoring in political science or history or they're majoring in, in science, technology, and STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, because it's much harder to propagandize students in those objective subjects than it is in the more subjective subjects. And so schools are, are, are prioritizing differently than they used to. Liberal arts education is on the way out. No question. I mean, I, I used to do routinely six to eight commencements a year. Uh, now I'm down to about one. I'm down to none. I, I used to do, I would say, 10 to 12 a year. And I got, what, 15 honorary degrees. I never got, I haven't gotten an honorary degree since I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate. Uh, no university wants to hear me speak if I defended President Trump. I wonder what they would have done to John Adams after he defended the people in the Boston Massacre. People are so intolerant of different points of view today. That's absolutely true. Now, the response from college administrators has been very, very slow. Do you think it's because they they agree with some of this nonsense, or do they have their finger in the air trying to see which way the wind is blowing? What What's going on? I think it depends. I think some college administrators, particularly some of the ones who have most recently been selected as presidents, really agree with this woke progressive culture. They really agree with it. Uh, I think President Gay at Harvard is one of them. I think she honestly agrees with it. She's a nice person. I like her personally, but I don't think that her philosophy is the right one for this time and age. Others don't have any 
particular ideology or point of view. They just want to make sure that there's no controversy. So as a friend of mine who was the president of a college once said, the one criteria that doesn't exist to be a president of a college is courage. Uh, if you have courage, don't become the president of a college. Look what happened to Larry Summers. He had courage. He became president of Harvard and he got fired, basically, because he said something that was politically incorrect. Well, you know, Peter Sullivan at Yale came out strongly uh, in favor of Israel and against Palestine. But Well, he's, ter he's terrific, Peter. I've known him for, for a, a long time, and I like him very much. And I, I wish other schools would do what he did. Absolutely. Now, some of the people have advocated uh, identifying the students who are involved in these particularly violent protests and uh, disseminating their information to graduate schools, law schools, and and employers. What do you think about that? I'm 100% in favor of that, as long as it's only their names. I don't want their home addresses. I don't want their sexual preferences. I don't want their relatives' names or where they live. I just want to know that this kid, Abraham, who is a Harvard Law Review student and who harassed a Jewish uh, kid on campus, I want every law firm to know his name. And I want every law firm to be able to say to their clients, look, we're thinking about hiring uh, this kid who harassed a, a, a Jewish person on campus. Do you want to be represented by somebody like that? Or do you want to be represented by somebody who signed a petition saying that Israel is at fault for the rapes and for the beheadings? If you want to, fine, go to another firm. We're not doing that. And now uh, a bunch of law firms, I think it's up to 60, signed a letter to major law firms saying, no, we're not going to come to your law schools and hire your law school, your law schools, unless you do something about not promoting anti-Semitism at the law schools. And I, I'm completely in favor of that. I personally will name um, any student. I don't care if they're 18, 19, 20, if, you know, if they, uh, some of them say they didn't know what they were signing. Do you want a lawyer who didn't know what he was signing? Um, you know, if they signed something that was plagiarized, they'd be thrown out of the school. There'd be no excuse. I didn't know that I was supporting rape, beheadings, you know, and, and, and massacres and kidnappings. I didn't know that. Well, you should know it before you sign something like that. So I'm in completely in favor of identifying these students by name and letting the law firms, let, it, let the judges who are going to hire them, let the government know uh, who they are so you know who you're hiring. That's part of the marketplace of ideas. And this is really sort of a worldwide phenomenon, the, the pro-Palestinian uh, protest. Well, it's in not pro-Palestinian. You know, the Palestinians are, are, are destroyed by Hamas. It's pro-Hamas. I, I haven't seen a single demonstration that calls for a two-state solution. They all want to support Hamas, do away with Israel, end Israel. So I don't think it's pro-Palestinian. I think it's anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, and pro-Hamas. Well, you know, in the days after the October 7th attack, even in diverse places like Australia, uh, they were saying gas the Jews and Ali Akbar at the Sydney Opera House. What should the leaders be doing? Well, take, for example, New Zealand. If there's ever been a country that fits the definition of a colonial settler nation, New Zealand, it was established by England sending over white people who had never set foot in Australia, didn't even know where it was, to take over the country, ethnically cleanse it of all the Maori people of color, and uh, uh, colonialize it with settlers. But you never hear that said about New Zealand. You only hear it said about Israel. And Israel 
you know, England, Poland, Ukraine, Russia didn't send anybody. These people escaped much the way uh, Europeans escaped and came to America. So the idea that Israel is a colonialist country and New Zealand is not, I, I just I just don't get it. The hypocrisy of New Zealand and Australia as well. Australia is populated by English, the descendants of English colonialist settlers. Uh, there's never been a person of Australian or Aboriginal background who's you know in power there. They they it's 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 like South Africa in some ways. Yeah, there's no question about it. There are some interesting attitudes there. I lived in Australia for a year. Yeah. They do love Americans, I will say that. But uh, yeah, And I love Australia. I've been there six or seven times. I actually spoke at the Opera House in the debate. And I, you know, it's a great country. But there are a few people there, not many, but a few people there who are very hypocritical, likewise New Zealand. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be right back in one minute with uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back with Common Sense, as I always say. We may have to change the name of the show soon because there doesn't seem to be a lot of common sense anymore. And we need to do everything we can to make it common once again. Professor, you know, um, there are a lot of people who are calling for a ceasefire. UNICEF made a statement recently calling for a ceasefire, saying that children are being killed and injured, more than 400 a day in Gaza, and they want an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Should we seek a ceasefire? Absolutely not. First of all, UNICEF uh, is wrong about its data and its statistics. By children, they mean also 18-year-olds who are shooting rockets at Israel. They're not children. Uh, by women, they mean you know women who were part of the terrorist attack on the 7th. So the number of actual civilians uh, who are not active supporters of Hamas are a fraction of the numbers that UNICEF produces. But UNICEF has been anti-Israel since the very, very beginning. It's uh, 50 years ago I stopped contributing to UNICEF because of that. Of course there shouldn't be a ceasefire until uh, Israel wins. It's, it's, it's an all-out war of evil against evil by good. And you don't give the enemy time to regroup or rearm. No, no ceasefire. Let them surrender. When Churchill and Roosevelt got together after Pearl Harbor, they said unconditional surrender, no ceasefire, nothing, nothing temporary. We have to defeat Nazism. And this is the modern form of Nazism, and it has to be defeated. And if, you know, if, if Hamas wants to reduce the number of civilian casualties, very easy. Open up the roads, let these people go south, 
Israel has declared safe zones, then Hamas fires rockets from the safe zones, and Israel has to respond. So again, it's all the fault of Hamas. So they should have called for a ceasefire on October 6th instead of on October 8th. It's too late for that now. Well, do you think Israel's neighbors actually want peace, or do they want to obliterate Israel? Well, it depends on which ones. Um, obviously, Hamas and Hezbollah want to obliterate every. I think if you ask many, uh, many of the neighbors, they would also like to obliviate, uh, uh, you know, eliminate Israel. But you know, Israel made peace with Jordan and with Egypt and with uh, some of the Gulf states, and it was about to make peace with Saudi Arabia, which is why Iran put Hamas up to this attack to destroy any prospects of peace with Saudi Arabia. And thus far, they succeeded because of the media and the international community putting the blame on Israel and make it harder for countries like Saudi Arabia to reach out and make peace. I mean, countries in the Middle East would benefit from peace with Israel, Israel's technology, Israel's economy, Israel's medical assistance, all of which can benefit the Arab world. But uh, they have to be prepared to recognize and make peace. And it looks like it looked like Saudi Arabia is on the verge of doing it, and then this terrible thing occurred, which was obviously orchestrated by, by Iran. And I think the next step after Israel clears out Hamas, the next step has to be Israel, with the help of the United States, not military help, but logistical help, has to destroy Iran's nuclear reactor. You cannot allow Iran, which is today the worst country in the world, the most dangerous country in the world, to have a nuclear arsenal, because it will use it. Unlike North Korea, or unlike Pakistan, Iran will use its nuclear arsenal against Israel if it gets it. And therefore, Israel, with the help of the United States, has to destroy Iran's nuclear reactor. And there's a good reason for doing it, because Iran was behind this horrible terrorism. Yeah, I've always said, uh, as soon as they get a nuclear weapon, they're going to use it, because they're ideologically driven, not by intellect not by logic and not by common sense. That's exactly right. And they don't, as they say, we love death like you love life. So even if it means a million Muslims will die, the former head of Iran said that. If we bomb Israel, we'll kill 3 million Israelis. They will then kill 10 million Muslims. And the trade-off would be worth it, he said, because Islam would still survive and Judaism in Israel would be ended. You can't let countries that have leaders expressing views like that, to have nuclear weapons. You just can't do it. I agree. Now, is the ideal of a two-state solution dead now? No, I don't think it's dead. I think it's wounded. I think it's hard. I think with Hamas, it's impossible. With Hezbollah, it's impossible. But if Hamas and Hezbollah, particularly if Hamas is destroyed, there is a possibility that a state on the West Bank, I don't know what you do with Gaza, that would be very, very difficult. But a state on the West Bank with the Palestinian Authority uh, could be possible. The problem is if you had an election today on the West Bank, they would elect Hamas. That's why there have been no elections in the last uh, many years. Why Abbas rules without any electoral authority, because he knows he would lose in an election. Hamas is very popular on the West Bank and in Gaza. And so when President Biden says this is not a war between Israel and the Palestinian people, he's wrong. The vast majority of the Palestinian people in Gaza and on the West Bank support Hamas and support them materially and support them economically and support them militarily. So this is a war, just like it was a war between the German people 
and America. Not every German supported Hitler, but enough of them did. So it was a war between our two countries and our two cultures. And that's the same with the Palestinians. It is a war between the Palestinian people and Israel, with some exceptions. Well, this this conflict, uh, it has its roots hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. I mean, you can go all the way back to to Isaac and Ishmael and Egypt and Jacob and Esau. Do you think it will ever be resolved? I do. I think it will be resolved. I think it was very close to being resolved with the Saudis. And then the Iranians decided they did not want peace. If the world wants peace, it needs a strong Israel, an Israel capable of defeating all of its enemies. The only way peace will come is through a strong, strong Israel. And asking Israel to sacrifice its military and technological advantages by a ceasefire is a guarantee that there'll be more civilian casualties, more deaths. You want peace, you need a strong Israel. Absolutely. Well, why do you think uh, Israel's neighbors like uh, Egypt and Jordan initially refuse to take refugees from Gaza? Well, they don't want Palestinians um, because they know that if they get Palestinians, they'll get some terrorists. Look, Israel took in 15,000 workers from Gaza, and it now turns out that some of them were spies and were giving information about where families lived and where the vulnerabilities were in Israel. So I don't think Israel will ever take another Gaza worker now. They, they have, and, and the workers from Gaza were making lots of money, were doing very well and bringing money back to their families. But they destroyed any possibility of continuing to work in Israel because no Israeli will want to work with somebody who might be a spy for Hamas. Don't you think that a lot of Americans don't really understand the relationship that Israel has with America, particularly in terms of technological advances? That's right. And they think it's a one-way street. And, you know, obviously America provides more support for Israel than Israel does for America. Israel's a tiny country. It's the size of New Jersey. Um, And America is, of course, a mega power. But, you know, Israel helped develop the Iron Dome. It helped develop... Uh, computer technology. It helped develop uh, so many, so many things that have benefited all Americans. It helped develop many cures for illnesses. No country in the history of the world has ever contributed as much to the world in the first 75 years of its existence than Israel has done, and the world should be thankful to it. Instead, they discriminate against it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the, the benefit of our relationship has been tremendous, and it's a small sacrifice, I think, for us to uh, offer our support in that situation like that. We're going to have to take another one-minute break. We'll be right back with our closing segment uh, with Professor Alan Dershowitz. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. 
head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back. More common sense. We have with us Alan Dershowitz, and uh, he has a new book, The War Against Jews, How to End Hamas's Barbarism. How has this attack united Israelis and Jews from around the world, despite many deep divisions? Or do you see it pulling the Jewish community from around the world together? It has. I mean, the Jewish community generally gets together during times of crisis. During the Holocaust, obviously, people from the left and the right joined to try to fight Nazism. And I think we're seeing that now. Israel was a very divided country on the eve of this. They were divided over judicial reform. They were divided over Netanyahu. But this has united the country. Uh, it will be divided again once this war is over. But right now, um, I think most of the world's Jews with the exception of some from the hard left, the woke hard left, support Israel and support Israel's military efforts. Uh, I wanted to just, uh, before we close, ask you about when the book will be available and uh, how people can get it. Thank you so much. The book can be ordered right now. It's already been a bestseller, a small bestseller on Amazon. You just order it in advance and it'll be delivered to you the day it's published, which would, should be a couple of weeks. But if you order it in advance now, I think it will send a powerful message to those who want to silence pro-Israel and pro-American voices. So I would really appreciate if people would advance order the war. It's called War Against the Jews, How to Defeat Hamas Barbarism. And you can get it on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble right now. Wonderful. And any closing thoughts for our audience? Look, look, let's defend America, because defending Israel is defending America. It's defending the Judeo-Christian tradition, and it's, um, it's good for the world. It's good for peace. And I have to tell you, the feet of Hamas will be the best thing that ever happened to the Palestinians. Absolutely. And maybe the best thing that happened to America, too, because can you imagine that they're not infiltrating our southern border and planning something big in this country, too? I would not be surprised. It would not surprise me at all if they're planning something big here. And uh, we have to worry about that. And the head of the FBI said we have to worry about that. So I'm not alone in saying that. Well, Professor, thank you so much for uh, taking time. Thank you for writing the book. Always a pleasure to have intelligent thought with you. And that's what I always have when I'm on the show. Thank you so much. And I'll be back with my closing thought for the audience in one minute. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. 
Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. you found that discussion with uh, Alan Dershowitz uh, enlightening. There's so many things, just brutal things going on in our society today. It seems like we're being bombarded with evil everywhere. And it's a time when we need moral and spiritual strength if we're going to prevail. Otherwise, we will just be carried away by evil influences. It's time for us to love each other. It's time for us to pray. It's time for us to get in contact with those values and principles that made America into a great nation. And for your prescription this week, do a little studying about the beginnings of our nation and the values that we embraced. And recognize that We were not perfect. There are those who try to demonize us because we're not perfect, because we're composed of human beings who are imperfect. That's not the issue. The issue is what were those values? What were those principles that allowed us to excel and to climb to the pinnacle of the world in record time? It was not a coincidence. We need to think about those things and apply them to our lives again so we can make America a fantastic and wonderful place for everyone. And don't forget to uh, listen to all of our podcasts. You can get them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, it's there. You can go to AmericanCornerstone.org and access them there as well. Rate us, review us, tell others about us. And I'm finding a lot of people who are listening, and that is good because it'll help us bring common sense back to America. And don't forget the cornerstone principles, faith, liberty, community, and life. We'll see you next week.